Well, good morning. You know, the groundhog saw his shadow, right? It's supposed to have three more or six more weeks of winter. Or you can believe Dave and I, we don't have beards anymore. We believe spring's coming soon, right? And so I do want to thank y'all for your prayers uh, for my mom's memorial last Sunday. You know, there was a steady peace in my soul. I, I just really felt the prayer support of this class. I'm thankful for that. I know as Mike goes forward to uh, have a similar time with his family, those are huge, huge events that give you tremendous opportunities. Uh, we had probably close to 100 people, uh, mostly all family. My mom had 32 great-grandchildren, um, along with her children and her grandchildren, and just a very intimate time of talking about the Lord. And um, some were believers, some weren't. So embrace those opportunities. You know, don't, don't shy away. It's a great, great opportunity. Well, you know, we're studying the book of Proverbs right now. And um, what a fantastic practical guide uh, for living here in, in, a, in a broken world. Um, you know, uh, there was a, one of the commentators said, what's the difference between being smart and being wise? You know, wisdom goes beyond knowledge. It's, it's more than a catalog of facts. It's a masterful understanding of life and a practical art of living, and expertise in good decision-making. Proverbs challenges us to gain knowledge, to apply that knowledge to our lives, and share the wisdom to gain with others. I mentioned that quote once before, but I just think it's very helpful in embracing this book and what it allows us to do. And yeah, it, it seems at times where there's some self-evident truths here, but there's great wisdom and knowledge from God that's given to us in this book. Um, you know, we, we had just studied Solomon's life, and there's over 3,000 Proverbs that uh, Solomon wrote, and uh, he completed his writing of Proverbs before he turned away from the Lord. And there was great fruit produced in Solomon's life during this season of life for him when he was faithful to the Lord. You know, in Proverbs 2, 6, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So the book contains advice, instruction, warnings. And you know, it's, it's particularly addressed to young people. Young people are in a vulnerable part of their lives. Um, I think it's uh, helpful to understand that that's part of the audience here. And for young people that will listen, there's tremendous benefit. For young people that turn away, you see the consequences. They're all given to you in this great book of Proverbs. Um, you know, the first five verses in chapter one of the book of Proverbs, it begins Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Remember David as being the king that all other kings were compared to, including his son Solomon. But verse two says, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. What great promises from this book. You know, today, 
we're going to look at a theme that's going to be present for the next several weeks. And it's this theme of, of marriage bond protection from the positive side. And it's a, it's a warning against adultery on the negative side. We're going to be in Proverbs 5 today. And, you know, as we look at the outline of the book of Proverbs, the way that we've determined to cover this is we're going to look at the first nine chapters individually, right? Um, and they're a contrast between good and evil. And then we're going to uh, break it out into subjects after that with work. We've already done work, anger, pride, folly, wealth, and speech that come from various Proverbs. And then we'll cover chapters 30 and 31 independently. Our theme verse for our study is from Proverbs 1-7. And it's the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of knowledge. And then this, the, the contrast to that is, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, so a real contrast that there's all throughout this. There's the contrast between uh, good and evil and receiving instruction and rejecting instruction. Our verse today our lesson verses from Proverbs 5.21. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. We'll break that down a little more in just a minute. So, many of you in this room are married and exchange vows. For those that aren't married, this may be in your future. Your vows went something like this. These are a traditional set of marriage vows. The first set of vows at a marriage ceremony, the uh, man is encouraged with, to repeat this instructions. Man, do you take this woman to be your wedded wife? Now listen to the vows being made carefully. To live together after God's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony. Do you dedicate yourself to love her, comfort her, honor her, pray for her, provide spiritual leadership, and forsaking all others, keep only unto her as long as you both shall live? You know, those, those vows are sometimes so familiar that we don't really break down all that's being promised there committed to, and yet this is the Lord's plan for marriage. This vows of loving, comfort, honor, praying, spiritual leadership, forsaking all others, keeping only under her permanently, as long as you live. The second set of vows, I, the man, take thee, woman, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, in joy and sorrow. When? How long? Till death do us part, or till Christ shall come. And then finally, a typical ring vow. Man, do you have a token of your love for this woman? And then repeat after me. Woman, I give you this ring as a symbol of my love for you and my promise to honor you, cherish you, and be faithful to you and to our marriage through God's grace and as long as we both live with this ring I thee wed. My promise to honor you, cherish you, and be faithful to you. 
Those, are, those vows are really important. They're said for a purpose. They're said in a ceremony before God and before all of the family and all the peers. It's to set the tone for marriage. You know, today, we're going to get instruction on protecting those marriage vows. So that they're not broken. And specifically, we're going to talk about adultery. Adultery is the voluntary sexual activity between a married person and someone other than his or her spouse that breaks the marriage vows before God and family. The Bible begins its teaching on marriage with the pattern of Adam and Eve, right? We have that in Genesis 2.24, where it's one man, one woman, husband and wife, united by God. And then adultery is forbidden in the seventh commandment, where the Lord speaks and says, you shall not commit adultery. But you know, in our culture, how is adultery perceived? I mean, what are... Some of the synonyms for adultery. You ever heard uh, having an affair? Sounds innocuous, right? Or having a fling, just having a fling. Sounds fun and pain-free. Playing the field, flirtation, fooling around. Not a serious transcription at all. Yeah, but Scripture says that's a total lie. It's a total lie that's manifested to underestimate uh, the damage and the cataclysmic uh, results that happen through adultery. There's a huge cost. Not to look too far ahead, because we're going to be in Proverbs 7 shortly, but turn there for just a minute. I want this picture in your mind. I want you thinking about this, because, you know... Um, one of the things that Proverbs tries to do is prepare you. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, George Lawson spoke. I, Dave mentioned that, you know, he, he was talking about how Peter, you know, Peter thought he was prepared to stand up for the Lord, right? And, you know, when he was in the garden and uh, they were going to arrest Jesus, Peter came with his sword. He, he was ready to fight, cut off a guy's ear, right? But he wasn't prepared when he was uh, watching what was going to happen with Jesus in the courtyard when a servant girl said, hey, I think you're one of them. And then Peter began what? The first of three denials of Christ. And George gave several other examples of men that weren't prepared. He mentioned David and his adultery, Samson and his sin, and um, just in Elijah. These guys that, you know, did great things for the Lord but were caught when they weren't prepared, and it resulted in failure, sinful activity. But Proverbs 7, look at um, verse 7. It's going to give a picture of how adultery happens here. Verse 7, And I saw the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the streets near her corner, and he takes away to her house in the twilight and the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. 
So she seizes him and kisses him. With a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today. I paid my vows. Therefore, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt, sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloe, cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. And with her many persuasion, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And suddenly, he follows her. As an ox goes to slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until the arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. I just, we're, we're going to cover chapter 7. I just wanted that picture because what we're going to go to today is a father trying to prepare his son to avoid that particular incident. You know, I want to share with you, I was 24, I was unsaved, I was married about three months. I went to a national convention for real estate in New Orleans. Um, I was naive, I was vulnerable, um, I was lacking in understanding. I was a perfect target. At this conference, I met a couple of guys, two guys, and they Wanted to go to dinner together, so we did. Um, and, you know, after we had dinner, uh, three gals joined us. I thought they were other conferences or maybe looking to network or something. After about 10 minutes, two of the guys got up with these two girls and they left. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave, and this girl looks at me and she says, Where are you going? Where are we going? And that's why I'm, I'm going back to my room. And she said, good, I'm going with you. And I'm like, uh, no. I mean, uh, there was a moment there. You know, I, I, uh, I didn't really know what to think. I was kind of stunned. Um, I never, never uh, thought anything like that. I never had anything like that happen to me. But it was quick. And um, by God's grace, not by any wisdom or discernment or preparation that I'd had in my life, I mumbled, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. And uh, well, at that point, uh, she was angry. You know, I, she looked at me and she said, uh, wait a minute, my friends have left to go with your friends. They understood what was going on. Why didn't you? What am I going to do now, she says. How am I going to get home? <laughs> you know, I was, I just was naive, undiscerning. I felt guilty. I really did. I felt really guilty. I thought, wow, I've done this woman harm. I called her a cab and paid her fare so she could go home. Um, but I thought about that later uh, and how that could have turned out differently. And it, boy, it seared me to the heart. 
You know, I've been married 44 years now. And by God's grace, I've never broken my marriage vows. Could have happened, though. It's stunning how quickly that can happen. And if you're not prepared, if you haven't thought about it, if you're not thinking about it, man, you're done. And the consequences are far more than they're ever portrayed, unless you read the Bible. Because here you're going to get, here you're going to get what happens in adultery. So in today's verses, the father's going to prepare the son four ways to keep him protected from the temptation to commit adultery and break his marriage vows. One, to recognize the character of the adulteress. Two, to understand the consequences of adultery. Three, to know the correction for adultery. And four, to fear the cost of adultery. Well, let's read the passage. Our passage is in Proverbs 5. It begins, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smooth and oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end. When your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ears to my instructors. I was in almost utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Well, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, springs of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his own sin. He will die with a lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Powerful verses. And when you think about this, it requires quite the relationship between a father and a son. This is a father being very bold and very transparent with his son. Covering a subject that, you know, a lot of times is not covered. Um, and yet doing so with transparency and clarity um, in order to protect his son and his son's marriage. You know, in these um, 
first uh, set of verses talks about how the adulteress is deceptive and attracting her target with seductive speech. He says, you know, first he says, my son, give attention to my wisdom. So be prepared here to receive wisdom. How do you prepare yourself to receive wisdom? It says, number one, give attention. Pay attention. Let's go. And then incline your ear to understanding. There's a passion in the Father. You get that, right? He says, what's the purpose of the instruction to his son? That you may observe discretion. Act with righteousness, right? And that your lips may reserve knowledge. That you, you may speak accurately. You know, I gave you the example of the, the undiscerning youth in Proverbs 7. But you know, we have another example in Scripture of a, of a young man that was prepared. Can you think of him? But a guy named Joseph, when he was approached by a wife who was to commit adultery, in Genesis 39, verse 6, Joseph's master had left everything in Joseph's charge. He didn't, leave, he, he didn't concern himself with anything. He gave everything to Joseph. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that the master's wife, looking to commit adultery, looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, behold, with me, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. He has put all in my charge. There's no one greater than his house than I. He has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Do you see how prepared Joseph was? He knew it was great evil and he knew it was sin before God. That protected him. That actually protected his master's wife. But that didn't stop his wife. She spoke to Joseph day after day. He didn't listen to her or lie beside her. But it happened one day, he went in the house to do his work, and none of the men in the household were there, and she caught his garment, and she said, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled. And he went outside. He did the right steps, Right? But that didn't keep this character of this adulterous woman from still seeking to hurt him, right? Even though she couldn't accomplish what she was seeking to do, she still wanted to hurt him and lied about him, got him sent to prison. That's kind of the character of the woman we're seeing here. Um, the adulteress is deceptive. She doesn't really reveal who she really is. You don't see who she is till. Like Potiphar's wife, when she doesn't get what she wants. But she's deceptive. She attracts her target with seductive and flattering speech. For the lips of the adulteress drip honey. They fall drop by drop. They ooze seductive charm. It says her smoother oil is her speech. Her speech is with flattery. Yes, she builds up her target, her victim. McCain says she draws her victim irresistibly towards mystery, excitement, and delight. But as with all sin, the reality is never as exciting as promised. Instead, the adulteress is cruel. The activity with her ends bitterly and is painful. It says, but in the end, in verse 4, but in the end, that means when all is said and done, she is bitter as wormwood. 
Wormwood is an acrid-tasting plant. Sharp is a two-edged sword. That's a straight-bladed dagger that could stab as well as strike. Dangerous utensil can reap much damage. One of the guys says, one of the commentators says, she cuts her victim to pieces with, without the milk of compassion. The adulteress is merciless. She will lead her victim to death. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Literally are going down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. That's final destruction of an unchaste wife and all who attach themselves to her. She does not ponder the path of life. She abandons God, breaking her marriage vows. Her ways are unstable. She's just aimlessly wandering. And she does not know it. She rejects moral instruction. She's hardened her conscience. She loses her direction. She stumbles to her death. The adulteress is very dangerous. She is characterized by deception, cruelty, and instability, and following her can be deadly. It can happen quickly. as a naive young man lacking in sense, or it can be repelled as Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Verse 7 goes on and gives us the consequences of adultery. Adultery results in the loss of financial resources to those outside the family. Again, remember, this is a father talking to his son. There's an inheritance here. What he says now, he says, now listen to me, my son, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. In other words, maintain your stability. Keep your way far from her as you would great danger. You know, a picture came up in my brain when I read that. I was uh, taking a hike with my four-year-old daughter uh, at a place we have out west of town called Rattlesnake Mountain Ranch. And my four-year-old daughter goes, oh, Dad, she's walking out in front of me. There's a big snake here, Dad, come look at it. And I'm like, oh, no. I mean, the danger of that rattlesnake just came up into me, and I thought, my four-year-old has no idea about that. She thinks it's a, a great thing to maybe catch and play with. I said, don't move, Deborah. don't move. And it went up, and it was an uh, unpoisonous large snake. But for a moment there, that had that panic in me. Well, that's kind of the danger here of that father's trying to express to his son. It's like a rattlesnake, dangerous, very dangerous. And he goes on, you know, as he says, um, don't go near, you know, keep your way far from her. Don't go near to the door. Avoid it. Um, be, be conscious of the danger that you are under. Um, or it says in verse 9, you will give your vigor to others. That's your strength. That's the labor that you've done that produces wealth. And your years to the cruel one, the cold-hearted one, the hateful one that intentionally causes harm. And strangers will be filled with your strength. And your hard-earned goods will go to the house of the alien. Instead of the wealth staying in the family, the adulterous participant loses it to the outsider. Wadke took that into today's terms. He said, although sexual immorality today will not necessarily lead to slavery. It leads to alimony, child support, broken homes, 
hurt, jealousy, lonely people, and venereal disease. Goes on to say, adultery results in massive regret for rejecting instruction and ignoring teachers. Listen to him. See if you catch the regret. And you groan. That's a cry of anguish from his soul, from wasted labor, from financial ruin, from all that's come of this that's, that's terrible. He said, and you groan at your final end as the results of your foolish behavior become visible. When your flesh and your body are consumed, literally wasted away, used up, exhausted. And what do you say? Man, how I hated instruction. How it's my fault for not listening. And how my heart spurned reproof. It's my fault for rejecting. Verse 13, how I've not listened to the voice of my teachers. It's my fault for ignoring them nor incline my ear to my instructors. It's my fault for not obeying them. I mean, this is confession from regret. This is soul pouring out here, groaning, looking back and seeing if he had just not done this deed and responded to all of the instruction that he had been given. He sees now he had everything to avoid this, and he didn't. And it's his fault. He realizes that. Everything is a result of his activity. It's confession. It goes on to say that adultery results in humiliation and shame for the adulterer and his family. He says, I was almost in utter ruin. Now, don't make that seem like he wasn't ruined. He said, I was almost in utter ruin. I, you know, uh, if you've ever been in a wreck and somebody says, man, my, my car was almost totaled. The car is not in good shape, right? It was almost totaled. This man is not in good shape. He was almost in utter ruin. He was near complete destruction in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. His adultery made public in this Assembly and congregation brings personal shame, humiliation to loved ones, loss of respect in the larger community. It is a social, not just a personal offense. So the father has warned his son about the character of the adulteress, and now he warns him about the consequences of adultery, the financial ruin, the deep regret, and the public shame and humiliation. But he gives him the positive side here. You know, the greatest protection from a sinful activity is to pursue God's prescribed activity instead. The greatest protection against unrighteousness is pursuing righteousness. The greatest protection from an ungodly life is to pursue a godly life. And he's going to tell him how to pursue a godly life. Instead of pursuing the foolish of adultery, the father exhorts his son to rejoice in the relationship of his own wife. Watke says, the life-quickening enjoyment of making love with one's own wife provides a concrete protection against the unchaste wife. 
Obedience protects one from danger, from stopping sinful behavior and embracing God's commanded conflict. So, the correction for adultery. Maintain intimacy with your wife as the singular recipient of your love. Verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern. Here he's likening his wife to a prized possession for storing water and fresh water from your own well, even better quality water that comes from a well that's fed by underground springs. The imagery is that the son's thirst is best satisfied by a relationship with his own wife. Verse 16, should your springs be dispersed abroad, strings of water in the street? That's a rhetorical question of where the sun should go for satisfaction. It's not in the streets. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers. His love's not to be with strangers. Instead, he should be satisfied with his wife alone, to be content with his own wife. Verse 18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the only woman who can provide you with this love. Rejoice. Have joy. Boy, is that a contrast to the darkness of adultery? To have joy with your own wife? The wife of your youth? Have joy together? Verse 19, he gives him a visual illustration. Now again, this is a father as a son. You might think that they could be hunters. Because he says, as a loving hind and a graceful doe, probably an Iranian fallow deer, someone like this. I mean, that's a, for, this husband, for this father, this is the most beautiful illustration he can give, right? A beautiful, innocent, beautiful, uh, graceful. That's what he says, a loving hind, a graceful doe. Says, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Maintain your intimacy, rejoice to your wife. Be exhilarated in loving his wife whom God has given her. Exhilar that exhilaration is like a word like intoxication. It's being deliriously or deliciously dazed in the ecstasies of lovemaking. That's God's gift within marriage. And he's He's helping his son who is married to focus on what joy can come in the exhilaration of being and in loving his wife, the wife who God has given him. Man, it's a beautiful thing. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Verse 20. He says, why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner. I mean, it's another rhetorical question. He says, look, can any woman ever be nearly as wonderful as the wife God has given you? And the answer to that is no. <laughs> no. She's, our high, she's your highest priority, the source of your greatest joy. Rejoice in her. So avoid the character of the adulteress. Know what you're against. Understand the consequences of adultery. Instead, 
Keep the correction. Maintain intimacy. Rejoice. Be exhilarated in loving the wife God has given you. In chapter 5, he ends this with the cost of adultery. You know, I, I would really, if I wasn't trying to stay with my C's, I probably would have said the fear of the Lord here. You know, that's, uh, that's what really he's calling them to. He's now bringing the Lord to bear on this subject. He's bringing the Lord into the instruction here. He's instructing his son to be accountable before the Lord. Contemplate your standing before the Lord. Think about this in terms of our God. And what does he say? Verse 21. He says, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he watches all his path. That's anthropomorphic. God doesn't have eyes, but this is the description of how God sees. It's more of his attributes of omniscience and omnipresence, right? God's always with us. He sees all that goes on, everything that we do in our lives. Psalm 139 so clearly represents this. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Verse 23 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Father's trying to get the son to think in those terms. You are accountable to God for your behavior, and he is watching you. Consider the Lord. Do what's pleasing in his sight. See, the adulterer believes he can commit sinful activity unnoticed by the Lord. But the Father reminds the Son, the Lord sees all men and everything they do. Proverbs 28, 14 says, How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. What he's saying is there should be fear of the Lord. There should be fear of the cost of adultery. But it's the theme of this book. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It goes on to say, the Lord sees all that every man does and is watching all his activity, and the adulterer will be caught up in the trap set in place by his own sin. Verse 22, his own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Proverbs 1.18 said, but they lie and wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. The iniquities they set and spring the trap leading to death. His sin will catch him like a hunter's trap. Proverbs 35, 8. Let destruction come upon him unawares, and let the net which he hid catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall. The penalty for adultery is eternal death. Verse 23, he will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. It refers to eternal, de eternal death in opposition to eternal life of the righteous. Adultery is walking death. 
Proverbs 6.32 says, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 addresses this. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. It's all part of the list. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. This thing that the culture calls a fling or a fair is sinful and unrighteousness and will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, let's look at some application because this is a very screams of application, right? First of all, obviously be prepared and discerning to avoid being trapped into committing adultery. Be like Joseph. Be prepared like he was, you know, be able to repel the advances or flee the situation because you know the character of the adulteress. You know the consequences of adultery. You know what the correction is and you know what the cost is. You know, in Exodus 20, the one speaking is God. It said, then God spoke that you shall not commit adultery. Proverbs 14.2 says, He who walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Be prepared. Be discerning. It says, be intentional. Be intentional. Now, I know I'm, I'm speaking here to those who are married, and there's some here that aren't married. But you're, you may have this, you may have that opportunity in your life. You may become married. It's good to pay attention be intentional. Build a relationship with your wife of love, trust, honor, and respect. You know, there is a duty in marriage to pursue a physical relationship. It talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together, so that Satan will not tempt you because of a lack of self-control. But, beyond duty, physical intimacy with your wife should be much, much more. It should be genuine enjoyment of the pleasure of a physical relationship in marriage that is built on a solid foundation of a husband and wife who joyfully put the needs of their spouse above their own, serve one another in love at all times. Colossians 3.19 says, Husband, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husband, love your wives. How? 
Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrificial. 1 Peter 3.7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy life. Enjoy life. With the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life. This is intentional activity between a husband and wife to build a strong marriage of love, honor, mutual respect, trust. It's what provides protection in not breaking a marriage vow. It's what provides a foundation for a great physical relationship in marriage. Great marriages result when believers reflect satisfaction, contentment, and joy in their marriage partner that God has given them. You know, finally, God will forgive the sin of adultery if a person will repent and believe in God, believe in the Lord. So, Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Unrepentant sin will be judged. But remember the compassion that Jesus showed to the woman who was caught in adultery? You remember that? John chapter 8, verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in, the, caught in adultery, having set her in the center of the court. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Man, Jesus, we got this woman. We got her cold. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? I mean, they are prepared to stone this woman. As they were saying this, testing him, so they might have grounds for accusing him because they knew Jesus in his compassion and his forgiveness. But they also knew he, he was one who absolutely upheld the law. What's he going to do here? They were testing him so they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. They persisted in asking him. He straightened up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to drift away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And then Jesus was left alone with the woman, and they were in the center of the court. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. MacArthur says of this, Jesus exercised his divine prerogative to forgive sin. But forgiveness does not imply license to sin. Jesus did not condemn her, but he did command her to abandon her sinful lifestyle, to repent. You know, we talked about 1 Corinthians 6. 
9 that gave the list of the unrighteous and their deeds and that they would not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you know what Paul goes on to say in that same passage? 1 Corinthians 6.11. Such were some of you. Oh, yeah. Such were some of you. You committed fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers. Such were some of you, he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You know, I, I never know who else here. I don't know what's gone on in your life. But if you're not in the Lord, you're not forgiven of any of your sins. If you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're forgiven of all your sins. If you're a believer, take from this passage, be warned, be prepared, warn others, warn young people of the character of the adulteress, of the consequences of adultery, of the cost of adultery. And if you're a believer, pursue the joy and the exhilaration of a relationship with your wife. Love her, trust her, honor her. Have mutual respect for one another. May your marriage be a picture of what God intends for those that are married. Let's pray. Well, this is a sobering text because of the subject matter that's within it. But yet, Lord, what great, great um, direction and instruction it has for us. Lord, certainly we should stay out of of situations or uh, places or people that would put us in danger or temptation of breaking our marriage vows. Lord, we need to understand that Things happen quickly, and we need to be prepared well in advance to handle situations that we may find ourselves in. But you've given us all the information and instruction we need. And beyond that, Lord, you've given us ways to build a fence around, to strengthen our walls and gates and uh, protections against sin. By doing something wonderful that gives you pleasure, brings you glory and honor, and that is to love our marriage partner in a way that cherishes them, honors them, builds trust, and sets a foundation for a beautiful physical relationship that you have brought into marriage for our enjoyment. Father, I pray as we leave today, we would leave in a way that um, we follow the instruction you've given us. Lord, that we, we have a great joy in our lives, in not just always in our circumstances, but Lord, uh, that we get joy from our relationship with you. And as a result, Father, we uh, reflect that kind of joy in our own marriage. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.